artists and creatives, you have the power to heal, transform, and elevate lives. Are you ready to step into your power? Welcome to Superfan Attraction. Hello, and welcome to Superfan Attraction. I'm so excited about my guest today. We have a lot in common. We have a lot of the same passions with creativity, and I'm just going to introduce her with their bio here. So if you want to live a fully creative life, then Dr. Marion Piper is your go-to gal. As a creativity coach and copywriter, she supports creative entrepreneurs to become their most creative selves so that they can communicate their world-changing ideas with confidence and passion. Having traveled the world and completed a swag of degrees, she's multi-passionate, obviously, um, including a PhD. Dr. Marion Piper is here to inspire you to percolate your pain and live in flow. We studied creativity coaching with the same with Dr. Eric Mizell and I love how she really focuses on dealing with trauma and mental health when it comes to creativity and what you do, because I know my clients, I think a lot of my clients, I somehow I'm, I'm drawing in artists and creatives who've had trauma and I've been honored that I've been able to help them. Often, I'm the first person they've ever told. And that is such a privilege and honor. And so I like to learn as much as I can. So I'll probably focus my conversation on trauma and mental health when she comes on. Hello, welcome to Superfan Attraction. Um, I'm excited to chat with you today because, you know, I really dug deep into your website and your bios and all that. And I'm like, I kept coming across another thing that we have in common. Um, so for those who don't know you, why don't you give a little introduction to us for you? I would love to. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, podcasting is uh, definitely one of my favorite things to do in the world. So I feel like I'm being very much indulged and luxuriated at the moment. Uh, but hello, friends, uh, new and old. Uh, I'm Dr. Marion Piper. I'm a writer, a speaker, and a creativity coach. And I tend to play in the space that exists between creativity and mental health. So how we can use uh, creativity, both um, the process, the practice and the product um, as a way to not just, uh, you know, put beautiful things into the world, but as a way to deeply connect with ourselves, to heal ourselves from our trauma and to also, I guess, build a better world. Um, and for me, creativity is everything. It is like the thing that I think will make the biggest difference in people's lives. So do you work with more creatives or you're working with other people to embrace their creativity. And it does, it does tend to uh, change depending on where, what context and what environment I'm in. I've worked with, um, cause my, cause my background is in creative industries and I've always, and I've also worked in the visual arts. I have a, I have a, a sort of a spectrum of clients that sort of extend from, you know, practicing professional artists, you know, painters, ceramicists, to people who are in um, creative businesses. So I'd probably call them the creative entrepreneurial type, which are the people that are, you know, creating, using their art for a particular audience. Um, and then I also work with creative businesses. Um, and more recently, I've started doing a lot of work, work with startups because that space is really interesting. It's a very high pressure creative environment, kind of similar to creative agency land, like um, advertising agencies and design studios. Uh, and I love what I love so much about startups is that they're often working with ideas that have never existed before, which places a whole new different type of demand on your creative 
spirit and energy and body. Uh, so that's sort of where I'm, I've been focusing a bit of attention lately, but yeah, um, honestly, um, probably my favorite people to work with are the ones that used to be creative when they were younger. Maybe they were the art kid at school. They hung out in the music room. Um, and then for whatever reason, when they left school, maybe they didn't have the right people around them to sort of say, hey, go for it, chase that creative career. Or maybe they just had other interests. You know, they go and they live their lives, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years has passed. And then all of a sudden they get this whisper. They get this little whisper that comes in, um, sort of in the, in, you know, in the back of their mind of, of reminding them who they are, reminding them of, um, their creative nature. And they sort of coming back to the practice as an adult, maybe, and maybe they've got kids as well that they want to involve in it. So, um, those people I find, uh, when they're on that journey, um, and, and oftentimes, actually, it's because, you know, a big disruption has happened. There's been a big challenge or a big trauma, and they're sort of rediscovering yeah. who they are through the lens of creativity. That's sort of like probably if I would think of an ideal client, that's probably my person. I think we all have to kind of make time for creativity and time away from whatever your job is. Even if you are an artist, I always can, I always encourage artists to explore something that's not their art, but some other art. And I think because I'm multi-passionate and uh, a lot of, uh, I would work with musicians, I would work with actors and artists, but I found like when they're in those industries, they don't really cross. <laughs> they kind of stay in their own lane. And I'm always like, you know what? A musician can learn so much from an actor and vice versa. And so Go explore mm. something that's not your norm and it, it will add to your creativity. So I think that's probably what you do of someone that doesn't even do this for a living to be able to explore their creativity in different ways. One of the things that I always say when, particularly if people are feeling creatively blocked and they're sort of sitting with whatever they're trying to make and they're hammering, hammering, hammering and nothing's happening or they're going around in circles uh, just to sort of further amplify your point about cross-pollination between different art forms. What I usually um, in encourage people to do is to go and take instruction. So if you are someone who, you know, you're working on a body of work, whatever that might be, whether that's a business or whether that's, you know, a series of paintings, if you go and take a class in something completely different, like improv, like maybe you join a choir, I don't know, anything, yeah. um, what that does is that it takes your brain's focus off the problem that you're having with what you're working on and it re-engages it into the creative process. And literally every single time someone does that, and, and it happens to me too, whenever I go and step outside of my um, wheelhouse and go and try something new, the next time I come back to my work, everything flows and it flows so much quicker because I've given my brain an opportunity to rest and to not have to consciously focus on what I'm working on because our brains are always creating. They're always working in the background. They're always connecting the dots. It's always like firing and wiring in new different ways. And so the more of those new experiences you can have, the better, the better your, I suppose, your primary creative practice is going to be because it'll be infused by all those different things. Yeah. And is it more uh, individuals that would come to you or is it more uh, companies or both? I do both. I do both. Uh, I have been offering one-on-one -on -one sessions uh, just to individuals for the past probably two, two and a bit years. But more recently, I've been running sort of smaller group uh, style workshops uh, in businesses. Um, I do a lot of speaking in corporates so um, particularly around um, creative teams. So I've worked, you know, I've worked with a few big startups here in Australia and um, with their design team um, who, you know, they have these, um, these big like full cross company wide meetings and I've sort of come in and, you know, inspired and educated and just reminded them of, you know, what's kind of the most important thing, which is the creation itself. Because I think, the difference between individuals and businesses is that for business, there's so much politics involved. 
there's like a politics of creativity because it's been commercialized and you have so many different people's agendas that are weighing in on what you're making. Uh, There's so much more um, uh, distraction and uh, you have to be aware of all those different dynamics happening. Whereas personally, you do have like a personal politics of creativity but generally it tends to be a, um, a little bit more specific, whereas the, the business version um, is a little bit more um, broader in general. But for, for individuals, what I see, the biggest, the biggest thing that is sort of weighing on their mind is it's either, A, what will people think? And by people, it's usually my family. Um, whereas for businesses, it's like, um, how, do I, how do I perform higher so I keep my job? Um, or how do I contribute in a way that is fulfilling to me but doesn't burn me out? So you kind of got they're, – they're very similar energies but uh, slightly different um, outcomes and paths to get there. Yeah, and so I'm curious to hear a bit about your journey, like where you started and where how you got to where you are now. I know it's always like a, a long answer, but I'm, I love it. <laughs> I love hearing the whole journey. Like, so maybe how, how did you get into this? What made, what was your first thing that you wanted to do? Cause I know you're multi-passionate, so you've done a lot of training. And so I would love to hear about your journey. Oh man. I, and I look, I'm like you, I love this question. I love hearing um, everyone's origin story because I think it helps you to understand um, just how much goes into, you know, being a human, right? Yeah. Um, and so for me, I always knew, always knew from, you know, the second I was conscious that I was going to have a creative career, that I was going to be someone who played in the realm of creativity. I, when I was, when I was younger, uh, I, you know, I used to, um, you know, create the, all these little cutouts and I was terrible terrible at drawing when I was younger, um, much better at now, but um, terrible at drawing. And so I would create all these little characters and I would have create these worlds that I would just occupy myself for hours. And as an only child, had a really rough upbringing. So creativity was really um, an escape for me. Um, and it was my refuge from, you know, a lot of the stuff that was happening around me, which was, you know, broken home. My, my mum is an alcoholic. We moved a lot, you know, so I really needed to give myself that sense of certainty from a really young age, which is, um, you know, looking back on it uh, because it was just what I went through, it felt really normal. Um, But looking back on it, I was like, wow. And this is kind of what led me to do my PhD project, which I can, we can dig into in a sec. Um, But looking back on it, I was like, how did I even know to do that? And so I think for, for me, there's, there's always been this like really deep internal desire and calling to do um, to do creative work, particularly in the realm of self-expression, you know, how do I translate what is happening inside of me into something that um, not just makes sense to other people, but that can forge a connection? Um, because I was so isolated growing up, uh, but then when I was, uh, and this is this is so random, when I was like 15, 16, I announced to my my high school art teacher, who was a really good friend and still is a really good friend now. I said, I wanted to be an art critic. Uh, don't really know where that came from, but I, I wanted to write about art and write about other people's self-expression. Um, and so, you know, we started, started to look into universities and I ended up moving from, you know, a small regional town um, in the, you know, the sort of mid East coast of Australia down to Melbourne, which is where I am now. Um, and I studied um, uh, creative arts at uni. Um, I, I blasted through all of their um, art theoretical units of study, like in like a year and a half. And they were like, you have to pick a practical major now because um, there's no other subjects left for you to do. So I ended up specializing in photo media and fell in love with um, digital video installations. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll become like a video artist, which was like really hot in like the early 2000s. It was like the kind of the crescendo of that particular art form. Um, And so um, I did that. I ended up doing an honours year as well. Um, And then I got the travel bug and sort of travelled around. And um, when I was in, I distinctly remember this moment. 
when I was in um, on a beach in Brazil with one of my be- with one of my best friends, and I turned to her. We're in the water; it's beautiful backdrop, like as sunny, stunning. And I was just so I felt so free and so open. And I actually th- said, "I want to be a writer." Actually, that is the thing that has been the through line through everything that I've done. And I think I was I think I was probably twenty three at the time, um, and um, we. Uh, so I, I sort of set out on a course to go, okay, well, how can I, how can I become the writer that I envisage? So I ended up doing a master's in writing, um, and then, um, ended up getting a job as a, as a copywriter working in, um, a creative agency. And so I sort of, I built a commercial skill for writing whilst I was also exploring a creative skill for writing. And so, um, it's been very much the parallel between those two things. And along the way, I've done so many other amazing creative jobs. Like I've had the absolute fortune to work in an art gallery. I worked at a, in a US summer camp um, teaching video uh, to high school kids. Shout out to Bucks Rock. Um, absolutely beautiful place. Um, and, yeah, and so I, I kind of was on this journey and then I got really, really burnt out uh, in 2019 um, from from all this agency work and being on all the time and having that pressure to create. And so um, I ended up leaving my last agency job and I was like, right, I'm going to start a business. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic hits. Uh, and I basically was flat out for two and a half years. I didn't stop. I didn't take a holiday because um, as a copywriter, when the pandemic hit, everybody was trying to get online. Nobody mm-hmm. knew how to talk to their customers about it. And so I had I was so blessed. Like I just had so much work coming in. Uh, and then that also created more issues because I got more burnt out. Um, and then sort of through that journey of, of, you know, business and, you know, also uh, I should sort of backtrack a little bit. In 2017, I finished my PhD project. S- starting a, running a business and doing a PhD, I can see so many similarities between the two. Um, because you're really on your own. You really got to make your own decisions. You've really got to be the one to um, decide what direction you're going to take, who your work is for, who you're going to speak to, um, you know, what specific one thing you want people to, to be able to like take away with and grow and learn from you. Um, and so I was like, yes, writing is the is the channel and the medium through which I work. But uh, the thing at the heart of everything was creativity. And um, it's sort of interesting to me that I ha- I've se- seemed to have this every sort of every sort of seven to ten years, I have this like really deep, clear insight around, you know, the thing that I'm here to do. And, um, yeah, that's when I sort of started in 2021 was when I started to explore this idea of like, well, okay, what, what would a life look like? What would a business look like if creativity was at the center of everything that I did? Not just writing, but, you know, the actual process and self-expression and how that manifests um, in different ways, in different contexts. And so um, that's when I sort of stumbled into the work of doc- Dr. Eric Maisel, who I did my creativity coaching training with, um, who is just the most wonderful human being. Um, and I'm still, I still feel very, I have lots of complicated feelings about the word coach, uh, especially as a creative. And so, um, because in my, in in my head, at least they're, they're very, um, they're kind of at odds with each other because they have, they require a different way of being in the world. Um, so, uh, I've been living in that tension <clears throat> Pardon me. I've been living in that tension for the last couple of years, trying to figure out how to reconcile those two things. Uh, and um, it's been it's been wild. Um, the when I made that decision to go all in on creativity as a as a as the kind of the driver for my business, it's incredible the kinds of opportunities and doors that have opened up um, by announcing that. You know, and I think definitely one of the things that I reflect on in, you know, if I look back at all the things I've been able to achieve, um, it's really because I showed up and I announced and said, this is what I want to do. And I found the people to help me. I found the opportunities, you know? And so I think as creatives, as artists, um, we forget that, that the world is ready and the world is hungry for what we're ready, what we want to produce and that there is space. Um, but we have to be the ones to go first. We have to be the ones to put our foot out, open the door and say, I'm here. 
I'm ready. I'm available. Um, and I'm, and you know, you need to step out of the studio to do that. And so, um, oftentimes I find what, well, yeah, one of the biggest things and, and, you know, I'm guilty of this myself is I spend all this time creating and then I forget that I actually have to make that transition to come back out into the world again uh, and share what I've created because that kind of closes yeah. the loop on everything that we make. So my, my, my journey has been one of just pure chaos at times, <laughs> um, amazing joy, uh, and I'm sure, you know, everyone, you know, we all have our, our ups and downs. And, but if I, I sort of look back and if I look at the person I am now compared to, you know, what I, where I sort of came from, um, it's like, I just can't believe, I just can't believe that's possible. So whenever I feel like there's no opportunities or, you know, things are really slow, um, I think about that little girl and I go, oh my God, like if, if I can get, if I can pull myself out of that situation and that hole, like, everything's going to be fine. Like whatever's coming, I can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested that you're, you talk about mental health and trauma and connect its connection to creativity. And I find I'm curious about that too, because I think I just happen to draw to me a lot of my clients have trauma. Like we, everyone has trauma, but you know, I tend to attract the ones that have had serious like childhood trauma. And I'm honored that a lot of times I'm the first person that I've ever even told things to. And I help them through that and how it connects to what they do and why they do what they do. So I'm curious, um, how does that translate into your work? And yeah, whatever your thoughts are about that, is there, do you find that more artists have trauma than other people or how does that work? Yeah. Oh man. It's, um, it's so, it's so interesting to me because I thought that was one of my fears, um, you know, stepping into this role of, you know, the creativity coach, um, or even talking about, um, you know, what I've been through and trauma so openly is that I thought, I thought that's what would happen to me. And I, I worried that I didn't have, didn't have the capacity to, to hold that space of people and what that would do to, to me, um, as, as a human bearing witness to that. But also, you know, I didn't want to, um, put, put anyone else in a situation where, you know, they were being open and vulnerable and raw and they, they couldn't get the, the support that they needed. So, um, uh, but that's definitely not been the case. And it's been really interesting. I think because, because of the way that I talk about trauma, um, I don't talk about, um, you know, and I very much lean on the work of Dr. Gabor Mate here, um, in that, you know, talking about trauma is not what happens to you, but what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. Um, and, and an extension of that, so my research that I did, my PhD project, really dug into the concept of post-traumatic growth, which is the more positive cousin of PTSD, um, which tends to show up in people in um, five distinct ways um, in that they, uh, they tend to have um, deeper relationships with the people around them. They have a deeper sense of their own spirituality, a sense of their own, a greater sense of their own strength, their own personal strength. Um, they have a greater appreciation of life and they have a, the capacity to see new possibilities. And so um, talking about this concept um, has definitely, it's attracted people who have been through significant trauma, but they're actually at a stage um, themselves where they're at that tipping point between, you know, I have, I've been through this thing, but there's been enough time that's passed that I feel like I'm functioning, I'm okay, I'm good. Um, but I want to do something with this pain. I don't want to just be stuck with it. I don't want it to be something that holds me back, but I'm actually ready to create and I'm ready to create from that place with not ignoring it, not pushing it aside, not pretending it didn't happen, but I want to use my my pain and my trauma as fuel um, to do something good in the world. 
So that's a really empowering place to be. And I find, I actually find that people who aren't ready to do that, um, they really don't like, <laughs> they, they really don't like the way that I talk. They don't like the message that I put out there because they're just not ready to yeah. hear it. Um, and so, um, one of the things that, um, a few, well, there's, I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways that creativity and trauma are connected. Um, and I think one of the things that, uh, and, you know, Rick Rubin talks about this a lot is that, you know, this idea of the artist's antenna. And I think, uh, creative people, artists, people who are kind of born with that natural curiosity, or at least it's encouraged from a really young age, um, they're way more sensitive to the world and the environment. Uh, and the problem with that is that, it leaves you open to experiencing things way more deeply and personally than people who don't have that same sensitivity. And so I think that's why a lot of artists end up, uh, you know, experiencing um, trauma um, and, and sort of, you know, that becomes their driving force because they're just so sensitive um, so that, you, you know, you have this spectrum of different types of trauma that could happen. You have, you know, your big T trauma, which is the stuff that, um, you know, changes your worldview. It shatters your worldview. It breaks you. It like tears everything down. Then you have the, on the other end, you have the small T trauma, which are the, the, tra the, the challenges and obstacles that happen, but they're the ones that just affect you personally. Um, then they don't shatter your worldview. They don't break you apart. However, the small T traumas are the ones that are going to add up over time and they can actually be way more damaging um, for people uh, if they don't learn how to manage stress and anxiety and fear. Uh, and so it's oftentimes why, you know, you'll see, you'll see people who have seemingly had the most, you know, loving upbringing, you know, they went to the, you know, went to the right schools, they got married, they had the family. Um, but over time, they've just, they've never, they never developed the skill or they never, they were never exposed to enough of a challenge to learn how to cope with it. Um, and so the people that I worry for the most in this world are the people who've never experienced a big trauma, uh, because they're the ones that it's going to affect the most because they haven't built up that skill to learn what to do with it. And that's where I think creativity can make the biggest difference. Um, because what it does, the creative process itself is it pushes you into this space of, of like deep discomfort and, and challenge and it forces you to look at things differently. Um, so it in itself shares a lot of the process shares a lot of qualities with a, with, with trauma. Um, they kind of mirror each other in different ways. And so, um, if we can expose people, more people to a creative process where, you know, they're not just, it's not just the happy, you know, I get to paint a painting and, you know, draw that. But if we can expose them to things where they're going to fail, they, things are going to break. And this is why I love ceramics so much. And this is why pottery is a really brilliant medium for people who, um, you know, want to experience that. Cause like, if you've ever, if you've ever sat at a pottery wheel, um, it is very humbling. Like it is a very, very humbling experience. Um, especially then when you get things fired and they crack and they break and they explode, like all of that, all of that, that challenge that, you know, um, th that you can put yourself through in a really safe and nourishing environment with creativity. That's what I, I believe. And I know deeply bolsters me for the things that are unexpected. Um, that are, that are going to come because like nobody gets out of this stuff alive. Like trauma is coming for us all. So it's, it's not really about like, what, what will I do when it happens? But it's like, how can I prepare myself for when it does inevitably arrive? Yeah. That's so interesting that you're talking about how people that have not had that big trauma, you worry more for them. And I guess th that makes sense. Cause like, you know, the ones, that have had more of a bigger trauma we're resilient <laughs> we're just like we keep going no matter what and we've we're we're used to it and we can kind of recover from it a little bit faster but uh yeah if you haven't really experienced it then little things can add up over time yeah i i studied with eric as well um for creativity coaching did you do any other kind of coaching um, programs or was that the main for coaching? I mean, I've had, um, I've had a coach since I started my business. I've always, I've been, I've definitely believed in the value of it um, in different parts of my life. 
but no, I've, I've just done, um, Eric Maisel's training. I've done, I've done like, I haven't done a coaching certification, like a life coaching certification or anything. Um, I kind of figure <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that I am a lifelong learner and, um, I can actually yeah. use education and learning as a way to procrastinate from doing the work that I know I need to do. So I'm very, very conscious of not taking on yep, too many other that. people's <laughs> opinions and things. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I, but I would love to, like, I love, um, you know, I just recently went to, um, a Tony Robbins event here in Sydney, uh, and I love being in that environment. I love being around, um, you know, people who are, um, you know, obsessed with personal development and growth and, you know, they, there's just, there's just something that's so, for, uh, the momentum that you can build from those kinds of environments are really, really wonderful, particularly for create creativity and creative practice. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll eventually do, I, I, I'll eventually do another coaching certification. I think, I think that will really help me get over the fear of calling myself a coach. Um, <laughs> when I've actually, you know, been certified yeah. to do it, but I would love to do it in an immersive way. I don't just want to do it online. I would love to go to a place for like, you know, kind of like how yoga teachers go. They might go to Bali and do an immersive immersion for like 30 days oh, yeah. to get um, their um, teacher training certification. Um, I'd love yeah. to do that for coaching or anything really because like immersion is like the absolute best thing for, for learning. So um, that's definitely on the horizon. Yeah. And I think also like I learned that, the certification, it doesn't mean anything, <laughs> you know? I think uh, when I first got into coaching, it's like, I felt like, okay, everyone kind of says, oh, you need to be certified, you need to be certified, to, yeah, okay. And so I, I was like looking at, there's all kinds of things online and there's a world that of education and, and that I could do online. And, and But I went to what seemed like a legit, coaching program to get certified but so I did that as my first thing but then I just dove into all this on I discovered online courses and I took a course on anything and everything I could possibly find because I was obsessed and so I also relate to what you said about very aware that you could dive in and be endlessly learning and not actually go and do stuff. <laughs> it holds you back. Um, but yeah, that's how I got my coach training. And I, I say I learned way more from all those other like courses. Some of them were just on Udemy that cost like 15 bucks. I learned more from those than that legit certification. So it's, and, and then once you do start coaching, nobody cares that you've been certified, like nobody cares. So it's more what you can help people with. Um, but yeah, that's interesting to be very aware of that. I'm starting to be aware of that now because I used to be the one that would sign up for every five day challenge, every, you know, and now I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I got to do my own thing. I got to actually do some work with what I'm learning before I learn more, you know? But yeah, it's when you're a lifelong learner, we just love to learn new things and, and we crave it. Um, but it makes us, I, I feel like that's your certification is that you've, you know, you've continuously added to your knowledge and skills and that's how you can better help people. Yeah, what you're tapping into, um, and there's a there's a whole there's a whole body of um, research around the value of lived experience um, as um, a knowledge base, you know. And I think as 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 creative people, as artists, our greatest asset is our creative practice. You know, it's the hours that we spend um, tinkering and ideating and moving through those really complicated emotions and feelings, um, that come along with, you know, this, uh, you know, moving an idea from just the ether into, you know, 5d reality. So, um, I, and, and, and this one, one of the things that, um, you know, often happens with creative people is that they feel like, 
um, they don't have enough skills. You know, I don't feel like my work is strong enough and, you know, or, you know, I had it like there's the comparison that kicks in and then that forces people to go and take more courses and sign up for more workshops when really the way that you get better, the only way that you get better is by creating. And so whenever I feel all of those comparisons and, you know, I get tripped up in like, well, what is this, what does this thing need to be called? What shape does it need to take? Like, is it a book? Is it a course? Is it a whatever? I go, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just back things up. How about I just start making it and I will trust that I'm going to figure out the form it needs to take along the way rather than trying to start with the end in mind and forgetting that things are created by actually creating them. <laughs> so it seems really yeah. dumb and really simple, but um, that's actually how you get better. And then if you get if you get to a point where you're like, actually, I don't know how to do that, that's when you need to take the course. You don't need to take the course yeah. before you've started creating. You take it when you need it rather than just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And then by doing it, you realize if there are gaps in your knowledge or gaps in your experience that you can, oh, okay, I'll, I need to go take, learn that, whether it's a course or a book or, you know, there's the internet's a wonderful world of information. So I always say like there's tons of free and low cost things that you can absorb and learn online. So what do you do in your day to day? What does that look like? Because you're a copywriter, you're a coach, Ooh, you're a you have a podcast, you have, you know, you work with companies. What, what is your kind of, do you have a priority of a focus of one thing that you mainly do or is it a different every day? Yeah, great question. Um, I I mean, there are some certain staples to, to my day that if I don't do them, I'm an absolute mess and nothing else gets done because, <laughs> um, you know, when you work for yourself um, or in a small business, um, there's really no, you have to be the one to put the guardrails up. Like there's really no guardrails to your day. Like if I, if I start the day distracted, the, the day is basically gone. So I have to really be really intentional and conscious about how I tee up my day because um, I also get really overwhelmed if I have too many options of things to do. So I kind of have to make decisions ahead of time to just, you know, just put some constraints in place to make sure I actually do things. But um, for me, the non-negotiables are um, I probably like four out of seven days, four to five out of seven days, I go to the gym first thing in the morning. I go to um, a gr group exercise for me is like being an absolute game changer. And so I'm there um, at 6.30 in the morning, um, you know, it's the same group of people, uh, you know, we have just like the best time and it is the most empowering and strengthening way to sort of start my day. And I'll either um, typically either journal, if I wake up really early, which sometimes happens, sometimes I'm up at like 4.35 just because my brain is like, we're ready to go. Um, I will journal uh, before I go to the gym or I journal when I get back from the gym. Journaling is every single day. Um, I can count on probably I can count on two hands the number of days I've missed in the last like six years. It's not that many, not that many. Um, wow. So journaling for me is like the anchoring practice to everything. Um, and probably my probably if I would think about my favorite creative practice, journaling is definitely the number one. Um, and then my days really do vary. Like some day, some days, like if I take today, for example, you know, I'm recording this podcast with you. Um, I'm, uh, speaking a keynote tomorrow on Saturday, um, at a conference. So I've got to finish off my slides, which I'm going to do to do after the, after we're wrapped up here. Um, and then I've got some, um, some emails to respond to, to sort of set up some workshops, uh, and then yesterday, actually, I was, um, I did like a short term one week contract with a creative agency just while their copywriter was on holidays. So it really does vary quite a bit. Um, and, uh, just when I think if I'm, I'm sort of looking ahead to my calendar and I'm like, oh, like November's looking pretty open. And you know, we're, we're halfway through October now. Oh, November's looking pretty open. You know, maybe that'll be some time I can stop to sort of create these other things that I want to put together. I want to, um, I'm in the process of creating an audio only journaling course, journaling. Yeah. It's, I suppose it's a course 
workshoppy type course for people um, because I, um, I've been running these um, live sessions, which have been really, really great, but I've been struggling to find the right time to run it. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take all that content, put it into something that people can do on their own. Um, and then I've, I've just had some branding done. So, uh, I need to redo my website. Um, so, you know, there's, there's stuff that's always, there's always something to do. Um, and then in amongst that, I always try, um, in throughout the course of the week, I try to get to sort of two or three different events, whether that's an online event, whether that's a networking event, um, just so I can sort of, meet more people because I think that's really important. Um, opportunities come from people, not businesses. So um, I'm always out there, um, you know, showing up and trying to meet, um, you know, potential new clients and um, get things going that way. But um, yeah, and then if I look, if I sort of look to the end of my day, um, typically the way that that runs down is I, I usually spend my evenings because um, I'm um, thankfully uh, single and I don't have kids. So I actually have lots of time <laughs> and I'm very grateful for that. Um, uh, so I typically will spend my evenings um, engaging in some kind of wind down creative practice. At the moment, I have a puzzle going, which you, I don't know, you can kind of see on the table behind me. Um, and then I'll, um, I sort of from eight o'clock, uh, all devices go off and that's my sort of wind down time. And that's usually when I'll read, um, or draw or sort of just like think and let, let whatever needs to come out of my brain, come out of my brain. But yeah, I love the fact that my life is so random and I've actually worked out that the more random it is, the better it works. So if things get too predictable, um, nothing works. So I try as much as I can to, to keep every day as, um, not as open, but, uh, I have some, I have an idea of what I want to get done, but I don't pin it down. I don't like time block or do any of that stuff that people tell you to do. Um, I just go into it with the intention of getting things done and things just seem to happen. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how my life functions in by not functioning. <laughs> right. Because this is super fan attraction, it's personal branding and promotion. So what would you say would be the most, the things that you do that help you attract your people the most? Is it the podcast? Is it going mm. to events? Is it Ooh. going to, oh, is it, it social media? Yeah, yeah. Um I, so I used to think, I used to think it was about the work. So I used to think if I do good work, the clients will come or like if I, if I put all my energy into doing the best work possible, um, and in short, that is absolutely part of the equation, but it wasn't until I actually started, um, owning, um, a message and, and it, you know, a message that I embodied. So, you know, I always think about this idea of like, what hill do I want to die on? <laughs> um, what thing would I champion until I was blue in the face? And when it was, when I started owning that and owning my own story and then talking about those. So it's really been, um, in my content, in my, um, podcasting and in my speaking that I've seen the the fastest and um, most uh, on point attraction of my tribe um, because I think you know because I kind of I go I go back and forth in my head about this and I do I do test and try things out a lot um, and I think that's part of it, right? You got to be, you got to be like not afraid to just bomb, to just not like, I'm going to try yeah. a message. And if it bombs, if it tanks, that's fine, but you got to try to know. Yeah. Um, and so I think, um, early on, I tried, to, I really emulated and tried to follow what people were doing in the industry that I liked or that I thought was, I was like, I, I tried to basically copy the things that I was attracted to in the market. Um, and all that did was it just made me feel like, like an imposter because I couldn't quite do it the same way that they were doing it. Um, and it felt like yeah. kind of unnatural and a bit awkward and a bit clunky. Mm -hmm. And, and I would attract people who also liked that other, you know, what those other people were doing, but they weren't exactly my people. So I had to really take a step yeah. back and go, 
okay, like if I were to do this, if I were to do this in my way um, and and how I write and how I speak, like what would that look like? What do I what do I love talking about? What are the things that what are the things that I am so obsessed about? Um, because obsession, you know, and I think obsession has a really bad rap because it's often tied to addiction and, you know, and to like workaholism and all those terrible things. But we don't talk about, I don't hear people talk about the positive side of, of obsession much and the energy that obsession creates, you know, like I am so obsessed with journaling and I talk about it all the time that, you know, the people that I attract are, that I attract are not necessarily also people that are like that, but they're the people that want to be like that. Right. So I kind of yeah. think like, okay, like what other things am I obsessed about? Um, and so I, you know, and, and I, and I go, I get really weird and unhinged about it and that attracts really interesting people. <laughs> so it's like, and it's all those little obsessions. They're the things that make me different and unique. Um, and I think when you when you find the things that make you different and unique, you can't help but attract your people because they, they, they're looking for it just the same as I'm looking for it too out in the world. So, um, but yeah, I think, um, probably, yeah, if I were to say like the thing that's been, that's made the biggest difference is, is really looking at the, the people out in, in the world doing the things that I love that, that, that I'm attracted to and trying to find a way to partner with them, trying to find a way to work with them, trying to find a way to leverage their audience too, because, if I if I like them so much, then their people are probably also going to love me. Um, and a yeah. case in point of that is um, there's this um, amazing group of people here in Australia called the Finders Keepers, and they run these incredible arts and craft and creative small business markets in all the capital cities. Um, and they were hosting a creative business summit earlier in the year. And I was like, oh, my God, like I need to speak. I need to go. First, I need to go to that summit because I know that my people will be there. But secondly, I need to be a part of it. Like I don't just want to be in the audience. I want to contribute to make this thing better. So um, I literally just pitched them a cold email and was like, hey, we don't know each other, but we need to because X, Y, Z and, you know, you, you know, you're that one of the panelists was someone whose podcast I'd been on. And so I sent them the episode. And so I think it's about like especially for those kinds of opportunities. It's like looking at what commonalities you have rather than just being like, can you help me because I want to be a speaker? It's like, actually, how can I contribute my best self to what you're trying to build? Um, and people love that. Like that's the surefire way to, um, you know, to get in, you know, to get in with someone is if you can show how you can add value and contribute. So, um, it's, and it's been a journey, like trying to understand this. And I've done, I've done so much work on myself and my message, um, in order to try and like hone it down into something that is easy enough for people to remember so that then they can then pass that on for me. Um, so it's not like I just woke up one day and I was like, this is who I am. It's like, no, actually I had to like consciously think about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I always say that personal branding begins with personal development because in or you have to know what you're marketing first and really getting to know what's unique about you and mm -hmm. and sharing your story. And especially artists tend to think, oh, my art can speak for myself as long as I do the work, like how you were saying. Um, but there's more to it than that. You got to share who you are authentically and because even if I'm buying like a painting I still want to know well who who is the artist what's their story what's I want a connection and that's going to make me want to buy it more mm. than just oh I like this art and so mm. I love that and yeah just figuring out what's unique about you and and sharing your story I love it so what is your why Oh, just straight in there. Um, oh, what is my why? I believe that creativity has the power to save us over and over and over and over again, but we must be willing to let go of control and so I think my I think my why is really around um, helping people understand that there's always another way, and that we can find it together. 
And I'm really deeply driven by this like internal burning desire um, to express. And I really think, um, I really think the reason why anything gets made is because somebody else has that too. You know, they have this desire to, to change something, to make something better. I think I innately think that we are wired to create. Um, and if you look around at everything in the world, like from, you know, this computer that I'm looking at to, you know, the it, literally everything else behind me, it has been created by some, someone at some point, some human brain said, we need this or, you know, this will solve this problem. So I think my why, my why and my how and my what are all kind of like the same thing. It's all about how, um, you know, creativity is, is really the life force that drives everything. You know, and it's both the anti- it's both the poison and the antidote. So, um, you know, it's it's not as simple as just you know be creative and everything gets better. No, it's like when you when you decide when you make that decision to create, um, you are taking radical responsibility for your role in the world. Um, and I think if more people understood that they actually do have that agency and that power, like, whole oh, like the kind of world that we would live in would be so different. And that's that's the world that I want to live in. That's the world that I'm trying to build. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. So where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Um, you have a podcast, where all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, I generally loiter um, most on Instagram at Marion Piper Creative. Uh, my website is also marionpipercreative.com. The podcast is called What Doesn't Kill Us. And, uh, yeah, you can also find me on LinkedIn. If you're, if you're like more businessy and that's where you hang out, um, just, I'm just Marion Piper on LinkedIn. You'll see me. I'm wearing, there's a photo of me in a pool holding a book. It's very crazy. Um, but yeah, so, and I encourage people to reach out. Um, my DMs are always open and I love talking about this stuff, as you can probably tell. So please don't be shy. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been so interesting to hear your your views on everything. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute treat. Thanks for listening to Superfan Attraction. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review so that others can find this show as well. To connect with me, I'm Diane Foy Arts on all socials and in the Superfan Attraction group on Facebook.